But just a little tidbit about that to kind of whet our appetites. You know, in the tabernacle, it was complete darkness. In, in, in Exodus, God commanded Moses to make four different skins to overcover the roof of the actual tabernacle. There were no windows in it. There was no sunlight in it. There was nothing but darkness. So the only thing that lit up that room was that seven candle burning lampstand. And what I wanted to do is just kind of have a demonstration tonight of that's how the Holy Spirit is in our life. Because sometimes we won't have knowledge of anything. We'll be in the dark and we have to get to the place where we have such a connection with the Holy Spirit that we get revelation of things we have no knowledge of. Just like you guys were getting tonight. Come on, amen? Jesus. Okay, Greg, can you back up a few slides? I want to, um, I can't even remember which one it was. Go back one more. Go back. I'm looking for the outer body or the whole picture. Uh, right there. We'll, we'll, we'll use that one right there. Thank you, buddy. If you, Everybody get a handout tonight? Our purpose tonight is we're going to kind of go inside the tabernacle, inside the tent. Um, last week, what did we talk about? Anybody remember? Oh, I'm going to call on some folk then. All right. Here we go. Who, okay, who was here last week? Let me get a hand raised. Handouts were on the table out there, I believe. If anybody needs a handout too, keep your hands up. Okay. Bishop, I'm going to put Bishop on the spot. We talked about the labor. Yes. Uh, which is the place where you, you have to wash before you enter into the holy place. Uh, we talked about the reflection that you see yourself uh, from that water. And you have the labor made of uh, bronze. Bronze, yes. Um, I'm sorry? She can't, she can't, she's hard, it's hard oh, to hear. So, yeah, we talked about labor, uh, which is the place where you wash before you enter into the holy place. Uh, and we talked about the fact that it reminds uh, the priest every time that they have to be clean, they have to be purified before they can enter into the holy place. Uh, mm. We talked about forgiveness and, and cleansing before you can enter into the presence of God. Come on. And that's awesome, man. Thank you, Bishop. Everybody catch that? Talk about the cleansing, the the, the, var, the water, the word, the, the altar, the blood, that we have to go through those things before we can actually uh, enter in. Right on? So that's basically what we, we talked about. We stayed in the outer court, but we're going to go inside tonight. So the first thing that I want to draw some attention to is after the brazen altar and after the laborer, then right next to it is what? The entrance into the tabernacle. So go with me real quick to um, Exodus, if you will. 26. Exodus 26, verse 36. Exodus 26, verse 36. And this is, again, the Lord giving instruction to Moses how to construct this tabernacle. And as he goes through that chapter, down in verse 36, he comes to the point of the entrance into the tent, into the holy place. And I want us to uh, notice something here. It says in verse 36, for the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. 
finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain, five posts of acacia wood, overlaid with gold, and cast five bronze bases for them. And what I want you to know is how many, how many posts or how many pillars? Five. He said, Moses, I want you to make five pillars and that these pillars would be erected and actually hold up the front part of that tabernacle. And even though there's only one entrance into that, it represents something very important. Remember, when we talked about entering to the gate, the first gate down there, last week we talked about when you enter into the gate, Jesus, right, is the gate. He is the truth, the way, the life. But we talked about the four different sections to the one gate. Who can remember the four different sections? The Gospels, yes. We talked about two types of revelation. The first revelation was the Gospel. It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the whole gospel narrative. And then the other was the prophetic side, the prophetic revelation out of Ezekiel 1, chapter 10, or chapter 1, verse 10, when Ezekiel has a prophetic vision of the living creatures around the throne. The living creatures has the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, the face of a man, and the face of a lion. There you go. And we talked about how those anointings coincide with the gospels in Jesus and that that is the entrance when we walk in to this gospel narrative when God calls us in to this storyline we actually can walk into that and have access to those things but again we go through the altar we go through the levar so now we come to the five pillars into the tent this is what I feel that they mean I believe that these five pillars represent Ephesians chapter 4 and what's in Ephesians chapter 4, it's the five graces God gives to the church to build his kingdom on earth. Come on, Ephesians 4, go there real quick. Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 11. I want to read that verse. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Let me, let me back up to verse 7. Hmm. One, one entrance into the tent but it's divided in five sections. It says, but to each one of us, grace. Highlight that word grace. My Bible says grace. The Greek word used right there is charos, C-H-A-R-I-S, charos, charos. And it literally means the favor of the Father or the favor of God. So to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity into captive. And, his, and he gave gifts, there's that word again, to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower other parts of the regions? He who descended in, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens who fill the universe. Now, here's the key verse, verse 11. For it was he who gave some, highlight the word some, not all. Some, not all. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of the living God. He gave graces. 
Now, we know traditionally this is the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. But I feel to, the, to staying true to that word, that word grace is very important because it speaks of his favor. And almost, I look at it like graces. And there is an apostolic grace that comes over some people. There's a prophetic grace that comes over some people. There's an evangelistic grace that comes over some. But he says, look, some, not all, right? Even Paul in 1 Corinthians said, are all apostles, are all prophets, all the teachers? There, there is some. There, there is some, not all. Now, without getting too deep into it, because we've got a lot more to cover, but I find this interesting, because I love talking about this subject, about the apostolic and the prophetic. Like, you know a lot of us in our stream, we're in an apostolic and prophetic stream, being under Global Awakening, Global Legacy with uh, Randy Clark and Bill Johnson. So there is an apostolic grace. When I think of it, I think of Bill Johnson. I think we all would agree that Bill Johnson has the apostolic grace operating on his life. But you notice, not yet anyway, he doesn't put the word apostle, Bill Johnson. You know, I don't think he gets tripped up on the title. I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people get tripped up on the titles of these things. But I, I, it's a grace. It's a gift. And it's given to build not our own ministry, Come on, not so that we get free even or healed, but so that we can build up the people, the community of God, so that we all together can reach unity in the faith in the Lord. Just stick with that word apostles. A word apostles in the Greek is apostolos. Apostolos. Can anybody tell me what apostolos means? Come on, bishops on it. The sent one. The sent one. So being an apostle or operating in an apostolic grace or an anointing is being sent. That means you live your life on a different schedule. It's not so much you go to church and believe and pay tithes and sing and be a part. That's, that's awesome. That's so good. It's so welcomed. And for some of us, that's, that's a lot of what we do, and that's the call. But there are some who have an apostolic call, an apostolic grace on their life, and that means they are to live their life from the place of being sent. Sent, four-letter word, S-E-N-T. That means when you're connecting with the Father, the Holy Spirit, he sends you from one assignment to the next. He sends you from one assignment to the next. And then what happens is as you follow his assignment for your life, he gives you signs and wonders to confirm the grace and the message you carry operating on your life. Does that make sense? Now, I also believe that it says some, but I believe that there is an I believe this is just personal, again, Mike Thornton belief, but I really do believe that I've seen in this generation is different. And I believe there's an apostolic, this is an apostolic generation. I believe that. I believe there's an apostolic call on this generation to do great and mighty exploits that we've never seen before. I, I believe that with everything in me. So the point without going and breaking down each and one of those, the prophetic, the same way, all of those are pillars into the tent. So after you come to the cross and you're saved by the blood of the lamb, after you have a relationship with the word of God at the labor and you're letting the word cleanse and mature you and grow you, then you decide what grace is God calling you to? What section are you going to enter into? What grace is operating on your life? Every one of you have a grace. I believe that. Every one of you have a calling and a supernatural gifting from the Father. But only you can decide what that is. Only he can tell you what that is. So it determines, I guess, what maybe section you'll go through. Amen? Come on.
So I believe the five pillars represent those things. Okay, Gregory, can you take me to that lampstand? Let's go back to the lampstand. Once we go in the tent, boom. There are three pieces of furniture in the holy place. That is the lampstand, that is the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. We're going to start with the, t- the lampstand. Everybody good so far? Tracking? So I just get so excited. It just, you know, you go into whew, fire mode. The lampstand. Exodus 25, verse 31. I want you to, let's read that. Exodus 25, 31. You know, even when we speak this word in the atmosphere, it's so good. It's so good. Exodus 25, verse 31. He told Moses, now make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out. We've had a word from a few friends that um, this is the year of the hammer. The Hebrew root is tau, T-A-W, tau. This is the actual year of the hammer, of God's hammer, God's word, breaking rocks in pieces. So make the lampstand of pure gold, purity like Tracy was sharing. Base it in its shaft, its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms shall be of one piece. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches. And one on the, in the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and awesomes, bud, buds and blossoms. And one bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, the second bud under the second pair, the third bud, third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. So this is the seven candlestick, the seven lampstand. And what does that mean to you and I? What does that mean? Remember I shared, when you walked into the tent, it was completely dark. And there was no light but what was coming from this light in this section of the tent. So the priest's job every day was to maintain the light. They had to keep that lamp burning morning and night all the time, and that required a lot of work, as you see the priests doing right there. So that was what one of their roles that they had to do. So what does that represent? First, it represents Jesus. Jesus is the lampstand. I'll say that again. Jesus is the lampstand. John eight twelve. Jesus said, "I am the light of the world, and I have come to shine in the darkness." I am the light of the world. I have come to shine in the darkness. But he also says, you are the light of the world. Glorify your Father in heaven by doing good works. So he is the lampstand. Jesus is the light. And what does that light do? It brings clarity into the darkness. And it really does, doesn't it? You know, you think about sometimes, have you ever been in a situation where you just don't have an answer? Maybe you're really feeling stressed. You're really feeling challenged, and you don't know where to turn. Everything seems cloudy. Maybe you're in a transition phase, and you don't know what's happening. Man, you have to have revelation of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the revelation of the fire of God, and it illuminates. It brings clarity. Do you see what I'm saying? It brings divine intelligence into the solutions or into the problems that you may be facing. So when we talk about how folks operate on the outside of the tent, they can't go inside because, remember, outside is only what? Sunlight. It's natural light. 
So people who only stay outside the tent are those who are governed by their own reason or their own thinking or traditions or experiences or even education. The point being, whatever you substitute for the Holy Spirit leading your life. But inside the tent, there's a change. And the menorah represents to you and I when we get into that place where we allow the illumination of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide our life. How many are, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many are in that point right now? I mean, truly, honestly. Are you really allowing the Holy Spirit revelation to guide your life in everything? Every time you get a problem, do you run to somebody? Do you call your friend? Do you call pastor? Do you call teacher? Or do you actually go to the Holy Spirit and get the revelation? That's what this is all about. We have to become mature in that and, and be able to do that, especially in the days we are. Okay, other cool thing is uh, what fueled, Miss Barbara hit on this, what fueled that lamp, that fire was oil. They, they had to put oil in that lampstand. And that oil was special. It said it was clear oil, and it was made from many, many, many spices. What kind of oil was it? Does anybody know what it was made out of? Olives. Olives. So the olives had to be harvested. And then when the olives were harvested, they were crushed. Amber and I, we went to Israel, and uh, we had a chance to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying and in the Garden of Gethsemane, they actually had an olive oil press still there today. <laughs> and so we actually saw this, this big round stone circular whatever. And they would put all the olives in this round thing, and they would roll this huge stone, and they would press these olives down to liquid form. And then that would be the oil. That would be the oil. When Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, how many of you know he was under pressure? He was under pressure. And even he said, if it's possible, take this cup away. But, the father, but he said to the Father, but not my will, your will be done. Your will be done. You see, that oil represents the anointing. It represents the anointing. And for the anointing to really operate and flow in your life, oftentimes you have to go through a crushing process. 